0: we have heard already a little bit from the passage but we'll continue through with Romans 8 uh, and it's verses 28 to 39 on page 1133 of the church bibles so the first reading is Romans 8 28 to 39 on page 1133 and there's a second reading while you're there which is 1 Peter 1 verses 3 to 9 Verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. Those He justified, He also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who did not He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will we not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The reading continues on 1 Peter 1, page 1220 and verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials.
1: Thanks uh, Justin and uh, hello again. Uh, While I'm just grabbing a drink, could you get your Bibles or keep your Bibles open to Romans chapter 8? That would be uh, of great service to me and I trust of some use to you as well. I have a sister, people are often interested in things like that, I don't know why. Uh, I've got a sister, she's a few years younger than me, she's a GP. She's married a terrific guy, she's got two super exuberant kids, which of course is a code word to say that they're completely mental. (laughs) When I was about 16, though, I had a good friend, uh, and uh, up until that point in time, he'd been rather unlucky in love for obvious reasons. He was always interested in kind of supermodel sorts of girls when he could be generously described as an average Joe, which is okay. Like, by definition, most of us are average Joes, right? And I remember a time when this friend had expressed yet another interest in yet another budding supermodel, And my sister, not meanly at all, suggested that he shouldn't get his hopes too high. It was a reasonable thing for my sister to say, but he was smarting and he took offence and I think muttered something outrageous that my sister should have her vocal cords dismembered or something stupid like that. And I just told him he was being a complete idiot. And uh, the whole incident barely registered with me. I mean, my sister heard me say it, but I never thought about it twice again until a few days later when my mum brought it up, who told me that what I had said to my friend in front of my sister had blown her away because it was the first time she realised that I was really for her, that I was on her side. It wasn't that she'd ever needed me, or to this day, has ever needed me to be a protective older brother. She can look after herself. But until that day, she didn't really think I was on her side. I thought my remark was completely unremarkable. For her it changed everything because she knew I was for her and I still am. Now friends, do you think God is really for you? In your heart of hearts, maybe when you lie awake in these hot nights thinking about it, do you reckon God is really for you? Have you ever doubted whether he is on your side I find I wonder that from time to time. At obvious times, of course, uh, like when I've I've sinned again, obviously, uh, or made little progress in personal holiness. Then I question whether he's really still with me or whether he's got fed up with my lack of faith or progress. But not just at obvious times like that. um, Also at other times, too, when I feel like I've really busted my chops working for him and the work doesn't pay off. Uh, Maybe for you it's when the business fails or your parenting fails or your health fails or your marriage or your friendships fail or when you're plagued with loneliness or disappointment or heartbreak or self-doubt or even self-hatred and you wonder is God really for me? Well that is the question we're looking at today and it's a very important question isn't it? This is our, our fourth and final week In uh, the magnificent chapter of the Bible known as Romans chapter 8, it was written by one of Jesus' appointed messengers called the Apostle Paul to the Christians in Rome. And so far we've seen that Christian people, that is all those who trust in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, are secure. Uh, We're secure from condemnation, we're secure as God's Spirit is at work in our lives, we're secure in our place as His sons and daughters in God's eternal family. And we have seen that the Christian life might still involve suffering or groaning now, but that glory will follow. Groaning today, glory will come. But today we discover that God is really for us. And He really is. And the first way that we know this is because God works everything for our good. How do we know that God is really for us? Because no matter what happens, God is working in everything. For the good of his sons and daughters. And we see that in the first verse of Romans, of our passage that was read to us. So read along with me in your Bibles, verse 28. And we know in in all things, says Paul, that God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Uh, it is, of course, talking about Christian people, those who from the human side of the equation love God, uh, those who from the divine side of the equation. Have, have been called according to his purpose and it tells us that God works in everything for our good which of course is easy to say when things are going well. What about when things are in crisis? What about when you're suffering? What about when you're in pain? What then? Well we need to know that even then and, and I suspect especially then that God is working for our good in all things in every situation working for our good And if you were with us last week, you would know that the the Apostle Paul really does have the experience of human frailty in mind in this passage. So even in severe suffering, God is working for our good. Now, how can that be, you might ask, when it makes me feel so miserable? Uh, It's an obvious question, isn't it? Because nobody wishes pain upon themselves. It's an obvious question and a good question. But you look closely at the passage and you'll see it it doesn't say that God is working for our comfort and he's not working for our safety and he's not working for our happiness. He's not working for our general merriment. You look closely and it says that in all things, that's both the easy things and the difficult things, he's working for our good. And so the better question to ask is not how can suffering possibly make me happy, that's weird, but what is the good that God is working in my life and I'm glad you asked that better question because he supplies the answer there in verse 29. Read along. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. The good that God is working towards in everything is that we are being conformed or shaped into the likeness of his Son Jesus. In all things, he's making us more like Christ. Now, one of my many uh, failings is that I'm not really into sculpture or art that much. So I apologise for that. When I lived in uh, Europe, I um, got to go to Italy and lots of galleries in Italy and a very famous one is called the Uffizi Museum in Florence. World famous art museum that is full of Renaissance, like priceless masterpieces. But I found there's only so many pictures of the Madonna with child, that is Mary with the baby Jesus, before the thing you're most interested in is trying to find a Coke machine. You see, I'm a barbarian, aren't I? But there's another uh, gallery on the other side of town, uh, and in this gallery is the statue called The David by Michelangelo. It looks like this very famous statue. Now, if you go to Italy, and lots of you have been there, you'll know that there, um, there are nude men everywhere, which would be rather off putting, apart from the fact that they're statues, and this particular statue of The David is glorious. I mean, you just put to one side the fact that it's a statue of a naked dude. Uh, It is, it's beautiful. And you just stand there amazed. The proportions are exact. They're perfectly balanced. So it's, it's, it's nothing short of glorious. But before it was perfect and before it was glorious, it was just a fat lump of stone, wasn't it? And Michelangelo, I guess he got out his little chisel and his hammer and he shaped it and he cut it And he bashed it and he smoothed out this perfect figure. And I guess that if that lump of stone had nerves and had feelings, the path to glory would have hurt quite a lot, wouldn't it? Now, it is a little like that with suffering in our Christian lives. It's not the sign that God has given up on you if you're a Christian. Our present suffering or groaning is a part of the path to glory in which God is chiseling us, shaping us to be just like his perfect son, Jesus. I realize that mine, I'm sure this is the same as you, I realize that our human agenda is usually concerned with the avoidance of pain. But in God's great agenda, it's not as if our pain is welcome But neither is it pointless, or useless, or wasted. It's formative. It's transformative. In fact, it's conformative, which is not even a a proper word. I looked it up. But it's conformative in the sense that it conforms us into the likeness of Jesus. And I, I know we really wish there were other ways we could get there. But friends, you and I know there are some things you cannot learn by reading a book by watching a documentary, by listening to a podcast. So our pain is neither welcome, but nor is it wasted, because it's shaping us into the likeness of Christ. And if you think about our present situation, I mean, we really are midway in the timeless purposes of God, between our predestination as it says in verse 29 when God chose us before the creation of the world and our everlasting glorification when we will share in the glory of Jesus forever. We're midpoint in that purpose of God and so difficult times cannot be the sign that God has left us rather they are part of the way that he is shaping us to be like Christ, to be perfectly proportioned Spiritually and glorious for all eternity. And that's the first way that we know that God is really for us because in everything, in all things, in every situation, difficult or happy, He is working for our good. So that's the first reason. The second reason why we know that God is really for us is just that He has given us His Son. Now, I would love you to read along with me in verse 31 and 32 here. Uh, where the Apostle Paul says, What then shall we say? What do we make of this? What shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? How do we know that God is really for us? Because he's already made the most profound sacrifice for us. He has already given us the greatest thing, When he gave us his own son, he gave up the Lord Jesus to death in our place. He held nothing back from us. So of course, friends, he is for us. Now, um, men and uh, fathers in particular like to think that we are the most logical people on the planet. It's a complete delusion. Illogical and paranoid. But I want to help us all understand that just a little bit today. They do say that a man's home is his castle. You've heard that said, right? man's home is his castle. Um, But from the moment children are born into his life, his castle starts to get overtaken. You know, the toys start spilling out of the the bedrooms into the living room. Now, this irritates him no end, but he keeps quiet because he's still got his own bedroom and a study nook. Now, that is the size of his castle now. It's uh, one and a half rooms. That's it. And then when his children can walk, they go into his bedroom and they start using his bed as a trampoline uh, or perhaps as an octagon for wrestling as it was in my house, which is almost unbearable to him, but at least he thinks still got the study. So now his castle has been reduced to just one small nook. And then you see they go to primary school and they start going into the study to do their assignments on astronauts or Australian marsupials, whatever it is they have to do. And he buries this pain Deep inside, in the knowledge that if all else fails, he's still got a thin strip of space around the printer in his study. That's his castle now. So it's rapidly shrinking. It's basically the same thing that happened to the British Empire. And that's why he goes completely mental, like completely postal, the very moment he hears the printer winding up to print anything that he has not sent to it. It's not really about the printer. It's simply the end of his castle. You've invaded all he had left. He's given the living room, the bedroom, the octagon, the rest of the study. He simply cannot give the printer as well. He must hold the printer back. It's all he has left. See, the truth is, friends, that all fathers hold something back. In fact, every human holds something back, don't we? Can you see that God did not hold anything back? Not even his son, but he gave Jesus up unto death for our sakes. How could you possibly think that God is not for us when he held nothing back, not even his son? In fact, the argument goes that if, if God gave up the biggest thing, Jesus, when he sent him to die for us on the cross, in our place, for our sins, of course, he will graciously give us all things. God is really for us. And as the Apostle Paul continues his argument to verse 33, he starts um, to ask a... Jeez, um, I missed that, haven't I? <laughs> all right. Um, he starts to ask a series of rhetorical questions to help kind of flesh out this point. Have a look, verse 33. Who will bring charges against us? Who will accuse God's people? And, and maybe he's got... Uh, satan in mind that kind of ancient accuser of the people of god but i wonder rather if he's speculating about whether god might accuse us will god accuse us surely god's got a whole lot of ammo for accusing his people of wrongdoing Ah. although in the spiritual courtroom god is the judge he will not bring charges against us verse 33 because he's already justified us That is, declared us to be not guilty, to be innocent, to be righteous even, if we trust in his Son. Not because we naturally are, we're not, but because Jesus took our sin upon himself and instead gifted us his perfect righteousness when he took our place on the cross. Or again there in verse 34, who will condemn us? Perhaps once more he's thinking of Satan, but again I rather think He's got Jesus in mind. Surely Jesus will condemn us? I mean, we have strayed so far from his will in our lives. No, Jesus will not condemn us because he has already in the past, verse 34, died for us, and now he's risen to life, and now he's interceding for us, speaking to God the Father on our behalf in our defense. Just as we saw last week the Spirit interceding for us in our prayerless weakness. So Jesus is not condemning us. He's already died for us. In this very moment, he's defending us, speaking on our behalf. Can you see that God is really for us, friends? I mean, he's held nothing back from us. He's given us his Son. And rather than bringing charges against us or accusing us, he's justified us and declared us to be righteous. And instead of condemning us, Jesus has died for us and is now defending us in heaven. Well, the Apostle Paul, he continues and he asks a further rhetorical question in verse 35. And and it is so striking that it really requires a separate and special mention. And so thirdly for today, God is really for us. And we know this because nothing can separate us from his love in Christ Jesus let's have a read of verse 35 who who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword After uh, World War II, uh, you'll know that uh, Germany was split into two, uh, democratic West Germany and communist East Germany. And uh, the former capital city, glorious um, city Berlin, sat inside East Germany but was itself split in two, basically down the middle. And on the 13th of August 1961, communist East Germany started to build a barrier that completely... uh, kind of cut off the democratic West, both West Berlin from East Berlin and really from the rest of East Germany in what would become known as famously the Berlin Wall. And the Berlin Wall was designed to separate, wasn't it? To separate West Berlin from East Berlin, to separate West Germany from East Germany, uh, to separate democracy and freedom in the West from communist regime. Now, on the 15th of August, 1961, Just three days into the construction of the Berlin Wall, a soldier by the name of Conrad Schumann, this picture of Conrad here, was sent to a street corner where east and west met to guard the construction of this Berlin Wall, which you can see by this time was just a low barbed wire fence. But Schumann could see that it was just going to get bigger. And this wall would separate two cities, It would separate two countries. It would actually separate two ways of life. And as he stood guard, some West Germans on the other side of the wire said, come over here. And I guess he looked at it and wondered about that. Come over here. And he thought about it for a moment. And then he jumped over the barbed wire in this famous photograph and was immediately rescued by the West Berlin police. Because in that moment, you see, Conrad Schumann had decided that a fence, like a wall, would not separate him from freedom in the country that he loved. It would not cut him off. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or danger cut Christian people off from the love of God? The answer is no. No. Later on, will angels or demons separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? The answer is no. Will trouble in the present or trouble in the future separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Will the highest height, the deepest depths of the ocean separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? The answer is no. Will our heartbreak, will our self-doubt, will our disappointment, will our depression, will even dementia separate us From the love of God in Christ Jesus, the answer is no. Will mental illness, will mental disability separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? The answer, friends, is no. Is there anything in all creation, in the whole world, that will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? What about death? I mean, surely death will separate us from the love of Christ. You know, not many... Years after these words were written, some of the Roman Christians, some of the recipients of this letter, the first readers, were set on fire as human torches for lighting and entertainment at the garden parties of a sadistic Roman emperor called Nero. Some of them were thrown to lions on the floor of the Roman Colosseum for sport and light amusement. So it's not an abstract question. Will death separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus And the answer is no. No, it will not. In fact, it will bring us into sweet and immediate communion with Jesus if we loved and trusted him in our lives. Nothing in all creation, not even death, will separate us from the love of Christ. And so in all these things, says verse 37, we are more than conquerors. That's talking about you and me. If we trust in Jesus, weak and tired and frail and inadequate, you and me, more than conquerors in all these things. In other words, we don't only bear them or put up with them or per- persevere through them with varying degrees of bravery. We triumph over them because we know they will not destroy the love that God has for us When his son died for us. So, since Christ proved his love for us by suffering even unto death, neither our suffering nor anything in all creation has the power to separate us from his love. Isn't that the most wonderful news? Sometimes wonder in difficult times whether God is really for us in our sin, perhaps, but also in our disappointment and our difficulties and even in our depression. I want to say today, take heart, people. God doesn't just want you to be saved. He wants you to know for sure that he is with you. We've already seen today that in everything, in all things, he's working for our good, chiseling away at us, shaping us to be like his son, perfectly proportioned, spiritually speaking, and preparing us for perfection and glory. We've seen that he's held nothing back from us, not even sparing us his own son. And we've just now heard that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus nothing no thing we can wonder whether God is really for us I say take heart brothers and sisters he not only wants us to be saved he wants us to know for sure for sure that he is with us and that he is for us because he most certainly is let's finish by praying Heavenly Father God, I do want to thank you for these great promises at the end of this most magnificent chapter of your Bible, that you are really for us, that even our pain and suffering is not wasted, but is part of the process that shapes us into the likeness of your Son, that you're for us because you've given us all things, not even sparing your own Son, and that there's not a single thing. In all creation, not even death that separates us from your love. So warm our hearts by these great promises and help us to know in the, in the depths of our souls that if we love and trust your Son, you really are for us. Amen. am going to finish with that.